My name is Nick Hamilton, neonatologist at Newcastle NHS Hospital Trust and professor in neonatal medicine at Newcastle University. And I'd like to welcome you to the Our Sam Talking Out Loud podcast series. Now this month, I'm picking up the reins from Philippa as guest presenter to discuss the really difficult subject of termination for medical reasons, or TFMR, partnered with national charity, ARC. Through the three parts of this podcast, I'm going to be joined by medical and academic experts, as well as individuals with personal experiences to discuss TFMR, which for anyone who's had to face this as a choice, will know that it is not only emotionally incredibly difficult, but it's also a really complex subject that consistently raises much debate. Now, at this point, I'm going to provide a trigger warning due to the nature of this subject, but there are parts of this podcast that you may find emotionally challenging. So for the final part, I'm joined again by Jane Fisher, Director of ARC, Antenatal Results and Choices, who have partnered with our Sam this month to discuss this subject. Now, in the final part, we're going to be discussing TFMR from a wider perspective, as well as the work that ARC do and the support they provide. So, Jane, welcome back. Now, you started right at the beginning explaining what termination for medical reasons means, and we then went on to talk to Caroline Lafarge about her research and her work around coping strategies before we heard about the personal experiences from Haley and Laura and the support and advice that they were offered. But this is a really complex subject. Now, as a neonatologist, TFMR isn't an area that I'm directly involved with as a procedure. Um, if I'm involved at all, it's to discuss the prognosis or possible outcomes for babies following the diagnosis of perhaps a life-limiting condition or challenging medical conditions that may have an impact on the babies and the family's life or quality of life. If the option of TFMR is offered, my discussions may help prospective parents weigh up their options. And that's really important for them to have the information provided fully and honestly and in the right way. However, there are so many incredible complex personal factors that come into making the choice for TFMR. And everyone, everyone's case is completely different and individual. Uh, individual. So Jane, this, this has to be one of the most difficult choices anyone ever has to make, doesn't it? Absolutely, and I, I, I'm, I'm always incredibly humbled really by the strength people find to, to make what are life-changing decisions in the worst possible emotional circumstances because we're putting parents in this circumstance of making a decision that they know whichever way they go they're making a decision to have either a child who perhaps is going to have challenges and a disability they'll have to deal with or may not even live or they're ending a wanted pregnancy with all the the complicated grief comes around that. And they're making this decision while they're still reeling at the diagnosis, still in shock that they've been told that they're not expecting the baby they built all their hopes and dreams around before that scan appointment or before the genetic testing told them their baby had a condition. So it's an incredibly difficult and painful circumstance. And it's, it's, yeah, as I say, it's, it's extraordinary how people find the capacity to get through it. And they do, and they do. But I think many couples would like to think it's one of the worst um, times in their lives. It's really, really tough. And it's important because of that, that they experience the very highest quality care from the healthcare team, really crucial. Yeah. 
Now, I know that you've been, you've worked with ARC for, for about 20 years now. Um, how, how have those kind of challenges, how the challenges associated with TFMR maybe changed over, over the last 10 or 20 years? Have you noticed a difference in what people are facing? It's, I think the essence of the experience doesn't change. The, the emotional response, the psychological, sequelae, all that is, is pretty constant in, in, in the way parents are having to deal with this complex loss. Obviously, in the 20 years I've been at ARC, there have been substantial changing changes in the, the medical context in terms of, of tests and the sensitivity of tests and the fact that Ultrasound gives us ever clearer pictures of a developing fetus. And so they, that means they can pick up far more things. So what has always been there, but perhaps is on the increase for couples, is having to deal with circumstances when there's a huge amount of uncertainty about the prognosis. And that is really harrowing because no doctor can give them an absolute idea of how it's going to be after their baby's born. They can give them perhaps a range of outcomes. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. Nick. Yeah. And then they have to work out. So they'll, they'll get, they'll gather those medical facts, which you're tasked with giving them and then have to look at those from their perspective, their family situation, their own psychology, their, their ability to cope with anxiety and uncertainty what their hopes were for their family, for their child. It, it's, it's a complicated process. And that the, the level of uncertainty people are dealing with can be very hard. And I think something else that, that's changed, that's made that perhaps even more challenging, is that perhaps when I started with our two decades ago, this was an area of, we mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast that abortion is not a word that is, is usually used in this context. But I think that the conventional idea was that those terminations that took place after a prenatal diagnosis were seen as the good abortion, the abortions that everybody could understand because either the baby was going to die or the baby was going to have a very serious disability. So there was a lot of public support for that kind of termination, whereas perhaps there was a little more judgment on those women ending pregnancies in different circumstances. That I think has shifted. And again, we could spend a whole nother <coughs> podcast teasing out the reasons for that shift. Some of them are very valid. I think there's been a move over, over the last couple of decades in, in being much more inclusive as a society to people living with disability, making sure we are much more balanced and sensitive in the way we talk about disability, which is no bad thing at all. The problem I think has been is that those who are fundamentally opposed to termination in any circumstances have seen a, a really useful wedge issue for the pro-choice um, side in that I think it's come from as many things do from the United States who have seen that by using a condition, I'll give an example, I think everybody will be familiar with this, a condition like Down syndrome, 
and showing incredibly compelling images of children with Down syndrome, showing absolutely how people with Down syndrome can live very fulfilling and great lives, and then saying, how can parents terminate these pregnancies? And that has really snowballed over the last 10 years and made it very difficult for those couples, and there are many of them, who after gathering information, after thinking about what diagnosis of Down syndrome means in their context, make the difficult decision to end the pregnancy. It has added distress to them because I think many of them will find it very difficult to disclose what's happened to many people around them or be open about it, talk about it, which is a shift, I think, in my two decades with art, which does, yeah, the, the difficulty there is, although you can see some of the concerns and arguments, what we don't want to see is this difficult experience made even more difficult by the politics. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've recognised elements of that, I suppose, you know, personally, professionally i mean i think i've always recognized how how difficult a decision this must be to balance up your own personal individual sort of factors and um and, and i've yeah. always recognized you know how, how judgmental healthcare yes. professionals can be yes and i think it, it it it's really important to take it back to the woman the couple because it's about their lives and when they make a decision and again I stress in pregnancy about their circumstances they are not for one moment judging a person in the world with down syndrome a person with spina bifida a person who lives with a long-term cardiac condition none of those things they're making a decision in their specific circumstances when their baby's not in the world yet and I think where, where it becomes very contentious is for those families who do have children with disabilities, who absolutely love their children, of course they do, they cherish their children with disabilities, who take those decisions personally that other people are making. And then it becomes really emotion, emotive and, and very, very problematic. And yeah. that's what's happened recently, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, what 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 sort of, I mean, I'm sure you could talk for hours on this, but I mean, how should health professionals or how could health professionals support women or families going through this better than, than they may do at present? I guess, I'm sure most health professionals will do this, but it's really putting, we all have, we all have our lines in the sand. We all have our own attitudes of what we would do, what we wouldn't do. It's trying very very carefully to be mindful of that, put those aside and think this isn't about what I would do or wouldn't do or my values. This is about this particular couple and their circumstances. I, I can only know a, a tiny amount about their lives and I should, I'm not here to judge them about the, the, their decisions. I'm here to support them. I'm not saying that's always easy. It's it can be tough. And I think yeah. that's why we feel that ARC it's important, and we'll perhaps come on to this later, that we are an organization that yes, supports parents, but also supports professionals working within one of the most challenging areas of healthcare, I think. There's a huge ethical load to this work. But yeah. basically it's 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 trying your best to be non-judgmental. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. we do have in law conscientious objection. And if a particular professional really feels that they cannot work in this area, they have to extricate themselves because 
in when parents are feeling so vulnerable to be confronted with somebody who who cannot hide how judgmental they feel is is only going to make a difficult situation worse yeah yeah so I know that you know as a as a kind of topic this was very important to to our Sam as a kind of charity to to cover and and talk about and one of the aims of our Sam was to to get people to kind of talk out loud about this and and other similar issues what 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 difference do you think um is made by doing what we're doing here today which is kind of talking out loud i mean what what was the the reason behind doing this do you think i think it's incredibly important because it's a very isolating experience now you could say that about any kind of pregnancy and baby loss i think miscarriage stillbirth neonatal loss but because of the extra stigma that's involved with termination, this has another level of isolation. It's even less talked about than those other sad um, loss events. And so I think it can be really important to be open about this happening, to, for, for parents to know that they're supported in these difficult decisions they, they made because many will be judging themselves harshly and not talking about it because they fear others will judge them. And importantly too, I think we come across people who don't think they're worthy of bereavement support or any kind of empathy or sympathy because they made a decision. And so these kind of conversations, talking about how challenging this is for parents, how what a distressing life experience it is, really important in helping them acknowledge, yes, it's a difficult life experience, but I've been through through a really complicated and painful loss, and I'm absolutely entitled to as much support as I can possibly get from my healthcare team, from whatever other sources are available. Yeah. I mean, outside of the, I guess, very obvious personal, emotional challenges of, of making a decision around TFMR and then going through the procedure, um, what, what, what's it like? What, what are the kind of maybe kind of longer term issues for for parents and families who've been through this process, and and maybe even for you and your team? I mean, what what are the kind of real challenges here, living kind of longer term with these decisions? Well, I, I, it's it's difficult. Well, I, I think our team uh, doing this work would acknowledge that we need support around it, of course, because we're dealing with very distressing circumstances um, on an almost daily basis. But going back to the parent, the bereaved parents themselves, it, it is an experience they, they, uh, they don't get over but learn to live with. And what can be really helpful in that is having ongoing support. Now, I would say that the majority of parents we hear from are very complimentary on the whole about the the care they receive through the procedure in hospital from their healthcare professionals. What shifts is when they leave hospital. And what I think we really need to do better is aftercare, is follow-up, is the provision of psychological support services and support through subsequent pregnancies. It's very variable in our experience. And obviously, once you've had a prenatal diagnosis and made a difficult decision to end a pregnancy, pregnancy is never the same again. 
And it's not just the next pregnancy, it's any subsequent pregnancies after that. And um, I think sometimes there can be an attitude by people around the parents, their friends and family that, oh, you're pregnant again, it will be all right this time, be positive. Whereas it's, it can be, a, well, it often is a real white knuckle ride for these couples. Yeah. And so I think we could do better in supporting them through that. Yeah. Jane, um, thank you very much. I mean, I know that this will have opened a lot of people's eyes to, to issues perhaps that, that they haven't thought of before. And, you know, the same for me. I mean, like, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of lots of other I guess, questions that I, I would have. But we're going to take a quick break now. Um, but do join myself and Jane again shortly as we talk about ARC as a charity and the support they provide for women, couples and families facing and going through TFMR and the professionals involved in this area. Welcome back to the second part of this special podcast, created in partnership with national charity ARC. I'm Nick Hambleton, guest presenter this month for the Our Sound Talking Out Loud podcast series, discussing the difficult subject of termination for medical reasons, or TFMR. Now, before the break, I talked to Jane Fisher, Chief Executive for National Charity ARC, about termination for medical reasons, not only from a personal perspective for women, couples and families facing this, but also the challenges from a support network and a wider perspective. Jane, I'd like now to talk a little bit about ARC as a charity and the work that you do with supporting everyone involved. But to start with, what, what led to your role uh, with ARC? Yeah, this it, it interests me really looking back on how I fell into ARC because I really did fall into ARC. I was working over 20 years ago in continuing education I was volunteering at the same time with the Samaritans and a support role, a helpline role came up with ARC that I saw advertised. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I should start to think about a career move and I'll, I'll go for this job. I won't get it. It's good interview practice because they're bound to want somebody who's got medical background, that's perhaps a midwife, etc. So I went to the interview pretty relaxed about it. But the more I found out about the organisation, the more I was really interested to, or hopeful that they would give me a job. They did. And I guess I haven't looked back. It was um, extraordinary. I've, I've learned such a lot. It's a very steep learning curve because I come from an arts background. I had to learn a lot of hard science. But it's, yes, I I feel very, very privileged to do this job, I so. Yeah, no, interesting. So, I mean, how, when, when did ARC first come about? And, I mean, what what, what kind of led so to it? Yeah, it, it's been around a long time, but didn't start with that name. The charity first started up in the mid-80s, well, as a self-help organisation in the mid-80s, called SATFA, Support After Termination for Fetal Abnormality. Uh, a fair mouthful. Yeah, mouthful, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they got charitable status at the end of the 80s. And it was important, actually, that the charity started in that way because it was specifically set up to support couples who'd gone through termination of medical reasons. Because at that time, there was literally nothing for those couples. It was at the time when it was only just the case that stillbirth was really being acknowledged as a, a bereavement and, and, and termination for medical reasons well behind that. So it was important that 
sat for set its stall by looking after parents at that time. But as the charity moved on into the 90s, the helpline was getting more and more calls from parents being given a diagnosis, working out whether to have diagnostic testing, etc. That the the remit was widening. And so in, in 1998, I think it was, so just before my time, the charity changed its name to Antenatal Results and Choices, or ARC for short, to, to recognize that we were do, we were doing a lot more than just bereavement support. And I think probably looking back, the trustees at the time also thought, or perhaps by taking out termination for fetal abnormality from our charity title, we might be able to attract more funding. That didn't really happen, I don't think. And interestingly, I think some of the bereaved parents at the time we supported were a little disappointed in the name change because it felt a bit to them as if we were hiding away the fact that we were supporting people after termination. And so we've always been quick to say at ARC that we are absolutely non-directed. We have no agenda in the decisions parents make other than they're helped and supported to make the decisions that are right for them, whether that's to continue or end the pregnancy. But we will continue doing the specific work with those that end the pregnancy because there's no other organisation providing that specialised support. And there are lots of really great organisations providing support to those parents who are continuing with their pregnancy, knowing their baby has a particular condition. So we have good, close relationships with um, the Down Syndrome Association, with SOFT for Trisomy 1318, um, Little Heart Matters, a whole selection of organisations which we signpost to when appropriate. Yeah. I mean, it, it, as you say, it's, I mean, it's very much about providing support to to help families, women make make decisions rather than having any agenda about what what you what decisions yeah. you want want um, parents yeah. to make. So, I mean, what what does that look like? I mean, how do parents find you? How do they get in contact? What sort of support? I mean, what 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 are you providing to these parents? Are you speaking to them or, or what is it? you Yeah. Um, so as an organisation, and, and obviously we're, because the podcast is about TFMR, perhaps I'll talk about those particular services. So we do have pretty good links with healthcare professionals. We have um, connections with the fetal medicine centres in the country, and we hope that they will pass on our details to couples when they're, when we're needed Obviously, we've got a website, of course, and so people find us predominantly through health professionals signposting them, also through Googling and finding us through other websites, whether it be Mumsnet or other charities that point us in our direction. And then in the context of TFMR, if they come to us, having gone through this difficult experience, we have a, a variety of services that we can offer. So we have online forums that are password protected that they can join and so find a safe community to talk about their feelings they're experiencing their experiences coping strategies etc and we've chosen to make those separate standalone password protected forms rather than on facebook so they are protected yeah we have a volunteer network of peer supporters people who are some way on from their own experience and have offered and then been trained by us to offer 
support to other bereaved parents through phone, through email. We have a regular newsletter that contains very affecting parent accounts of their experiences. We provide parent meetings. We're too small to provide ongoing groups, but we provide regional meetings where parents can get together. Variety of publications. Our helpline is there for as long as people need. So they can either contact us by phone, by email, live chat. And we've fairly recently started an evening service and we're hoping to extend that over time into weekends as well. So basically we lay out a variety of, of support services and we, we hope that parents will find things that they find valuable. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very broad. I mean, what 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 about health professionals? I mean, are you providing support directly to health professionals? We do. Um, we have, it's been part of our remit and it was a discussion that was had when ARC became ARC, that we would have uh, a dual purpose as a charity. We support parents, but also work very closely and collaboratively with healthcare professionals because we recognise that if we want the best care for parents, we've got to work with healthcare professionals to help equip them to deliver that, that high-quality care in what can be very, very challenging circumstances. So we've always run professional training courses. We run study days, workshops. Actually, I'm running one tomorrow in communication skills, in supporting parents through bereavement, supporting decision-making. And they've always been really highly valued because they give professionals the opportunity to both learn from us, the feedback we get from parents who, who contact us, learn from each other and share the challenges because it, it is it's tough stuff yeah. our helpline is very much open to professionals as well I'm not going to pretend of my 20 years that I've spoken to thousands of health professionals because you'll know Nick the NHS they're not always good at, at going outside to gather support but we'd really want to stress that although we're not medics at our ourselves we have a really good understanding of the arena staff are working in it's confidential and it's very much, again, a safe place for people to offload, to get support from us around um, this, this difficult work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. I mean, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm not a fetal medicine specialist, so I can't speak to what sort of training they get. But I mean, you know, from my own perspective, I've been involved, uh, obviously, with families making decisions about end of life care and and potentially withdrawal of active treatment and things and you know I look back on on the sort of uh formal sort of training I got and there's really very little around mm. communication and how you do that and you know and since I've been involved with qualitative research I and mean, I've really kind of reflected on I guess the importance of of language and behavior and and how you know particularly kind of I guess kind of almost body language and how you yeah. try or I now try very hard to appear non-judgmental when I'm speaking to women in fetal medicine, but I do look at other people and I think you might think that what you're saying is pretty balanced, but I can tell from your facial expressions that you've already judged what you think is the right decision here. So I, I think health, you know, support for health professionals is so important. Yeah. And and, and I just would, would want to big up fetal medicine specialists. I think it's a, it's a really difficult discipline because they've got their two patients in a way. Yeah. They've got, obviously, the woman, they've got the fetus, and 
so much of their work is really expert detection work. Yeah. They're fantastic detectives. They're seeing things on scans. They're getting information from tests and they're, they're delivering this information to the couple without being able to make things better. There are very limited in utero interventions. And I personally yeah. think there always will be. It will never be something that's mainstream. And so a lot of their work is that tough situation where this is, the, this is what's happened. Yeah. This is what we found in your baby. I'm afraid we can't make it better. Yeah. But we can offer you the option of ending pregnancy. That's yeah. that's hard because I think yeah. most people go into medicine with the idea of oh, I want to make things better, I want to improve things, mm. and I wouldn't. I, I think that that it's still really important that they do that because it is life changing for couples to help them in their circumstances make the best decisions they can in these these situations. Yeah. But tough stuff for the staff. Oh, really difficult. I mean, you know, I, I've been really fortunate. I've worked in a very large you know, university hospital with a very experienced um, and and caring fetal medicine team. Like, you know, I'm full of respect for my fetal medicine colleagues and the midwives who work in that, because actually I think, as you said, like they're, the decision-making challenges they face are probably more complex than, than mine as an neonatologist. People imagine that, you know, th this is really difficult being an neonatologist, but actually I think, as you say, with fetal medicine and, and you know, in the arena of TFMR, you're you're trying to sort of weigh up and and deal with both the the, the woman and her partner and wider family and and what's the right decision for them alongside, you know, what this could mean for a fetus who, who yeah. survives. Yeah. Very difficult. And, and yeah, one other challenge I think that that it makes it difficult is the the sensitivity around the offer of TFMR. Yeah. Because Doctors can sometimes feel they are damned if they do and damned if they don't. They don't, yeah. because some couples in the the shock of the moment when they hear that they're being offered the termination of pregnancy will react very violently to that because I think this is a one. How can you possibly be talking about that? Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's important that it, it's on the table. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so so difficult. As I say, like I mean, I do. I am sometimes asked to to come along and speak with with families, but um, yeah, I can't imagine how difficult it is to sort of work out how and when you introduce the, mm -hmm. the option of of TFMR because, as you say, some people already have very fixed opinions. You may not be aware of that as the fetal medicine specialist, but but as you say, you have to put it there because that is how how the NHS, how our society operates. Um, yep. Knowing that, you know, you put it on the table and there may be some people who who are then almost offended that you would be even yep. put yep. it down there. So yeah, I think yep. that's incredibly difficult. Yeah, and, and some, just to, to add to that, because I think it's another challenge, some couples or women, because of the onerousness of the decision and the difficulty of, of accepting that responsibility of making that decision will sometimes project onto the doctors well they made me do it yeah yeah what the doctor said they said i know i had no choice and and that isn't there, there are some doctors don't get me wrong we probably all know yeah. there are some doctors that are potentially directive and probably need yeah. some training in in being impartial but on yeah. the whole i think doctors are very cautious about these things and it's sometimes because it's such a difficult decision to make that 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 women and couples want that responsibility shared so yeah. they yeah yeah, no, I, I think we feel the same when we're speaking, as I say, as an neonatologist trying to make decisions about very sick 
often very premature babies with families and trying to work out mm. what the kind of quotes right thing to do is here mm. and and I always I always feel like I want parents to feel like I'm making the decision with them that I'm not just kind of like dropping the whole thing on them whilst at the same time I'm trying not to be directive and listen to what it is they want but yeah it's a hugely difficult area and just just finally Jane I mean looking looking forward now say over the next kind of 10 years and you've been doing this for 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 two decades now um where where do you see ARC going next or where do you see this debate about TFMR going particularly I mean mainly in the UK I'm thinking about because obviously there are wider issues here globally but where, where, where do you see this going in the next 10 years? What should we be doing differently or what, what is it that ARC would aspire to to offer perhaps differently in the next 10 years? Gosh, there's quite a lot in that question. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. I would hope that over time, you've always got to be optimistic that people will become more thoughtful about how complicated this is and less judgmental. And certainly, yes, we, we can't deny that we've recently had the, the overturn of Roe versus Wade in the US. But yeah. I found it quite interesting that the reaction here was quite strong against that. And so that may all go well for people being a, a little bit more considerate about in this territory, which would be really welcome. I yeah. think for us as an organisation, we will always push to, to increase our reach. We recognise that we could do better in in working with more diverse populations. We, we want to, to see what they would value from us. We know that we do quite a lot of our professional work with midwives, with doctors, with genetic counsellors and geneticists. We haven't had quite so much success with many of the nurses who are now dealing with TFMR in, on gynae wards or even general wards. So we, at this moment, are looking to offer them training in, in, in working with women and couples through this. So we've got lots of, of plans to just keep on keeping on doing this work because we are very much motiva- motivated by the parents we support, by their, their difficult experiences, but by the fact that they do come through them and manage them with the help of their excellent healthcare professional teams, with that support and obviously with whatever we can offer too. So we will keep plugging away. Brilliant. Jane, thank you very much. Um, as I said to Laura, I mean, this is another really important area. We've 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 all got to work hard together to improve understanding, to to improve the support, particularly that's offered, I suppose, from the NHS. Um, nobody intends to get pregnant and face the issue of TFMR. Mm. Nobody thinks mm. it's going to happen to them. Mm. Um, I mean, some people get don't expect to get pregnant in the first place, let alone sort of, you know, face these sorts of challenges. And yeah. I think as we talked about, you know, trying to 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 act in a kind of non-judgmental way is is so important. Um and so it's you know from our Sam's perspective, really important. Yeah. One last point I'd make because we we cannot deny that we're living through a very difficult time for the NHS in yeah. relation to the the limited resources and stresses on the service. But a non-judgmental attitude, human kindness and sensitivity don't cost anything. So I think that would be a message I would want to send out there. Yeah, no, I think that's brilliant. I mean, like, you know, and and I've I've tried to say the same thing to other people that, you know, like we should all try and be kind in what is an incredibly difficult um healthcare situation, but particularly, you know, around TFMR. 
um, just the importance of of trying to be a sort of kind human yeah. being um, to women who who must be facing like you know the this must be the worst day of their lives when they. And I can um, guarantee it will be really appreciated. Yeah. So I know that um, there's going to be a blog accompanying the the podcast with sort of contact details and and information in it. But I mean, if people were listening and wanted to get hold of Arc or support from you, um, how would they do that? I mean, presumably they find you on um, the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Our website is arc-uk.org. If they want to get in touch by phone, 0207-713-7356. We um, email info at arc-uk.org. There's also a live chat on our website. So there are many channels to, to get in touch with us. So please do if you need to. Brilliant. So thanks very much again, uh, Jane, for your time and, and insight and vast experience. Well, that's it for this special podcast episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Jane Fisher from ARC, Professor Caroline Lafarge, Hayley Manning and Laura Gray for taking part to discuss termination for medical reasons, an option that must be really difficult for the many women, couples and families that are affected, and also a huge challenge for those of us who are healthcare professionals as well. I hope that you have through the podcast episode and the discussions gained a better understanding. And if you'd like further information, please do get in touch with ARC. We're always there to support you. Thank you. This podcast episode has been produced by Our Sam Baby Loss Charity in partnership with the national charity ARC. We hope this has helped you with a subject that we know is difficult for so many. Whether you are a bereaved parent, family member or professional and in need of advice, guidance, help or support, we're all here. You are not alone. You can now access SOS Baby Loss, the UK's first online directory of support organisations and services dedicated to anyone affected by the loss of a pregnancy or baby between conception and 28 days post-birth. An ARC can also be found on the directory. To find the SOS Baby Loss Directory, just go to the Our Sam website, oursam.org.uk, and click on the SOS Baby Loss page, or select the big red Find Support button on the website. If you'd like to support the work we do as Our Sam, you will find a donation page on our website, all donations go to supporting women, men and families affected by pregnancy and baby loss. Thanks for listening.